You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Good morning. If you don't have any Christmas feels after hearing Carrie sing Breath of Heaven, then you are the Grinch's third cousin, I am convinced. Uh, Merry Christmas season. We're starting a new series today called I Believe. Uh, My name is Dean. I'm the pastor here at City Church. It's good to gather as a church family this morning. Let's pray together, and then we'll introduce our series and jump into the scripture. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for Christmas, that the Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. How amazing that you have come for us, that you came to redeem a people who could not redeem themselves, that we could not get to you because of our sin, yet in your love and mercy, you came to us. Lord, we ask that we'll have strong conviction this Christmas season about who you are and what you've done, and it will compel us to, in love, be bold in proclaiming your good news to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, anyone who doesn't know you, to those who celebrate Christmas but don't know Christ, Lord, allow us to have great conversations that point people to your love understood in Jesus. We pray for our churches in our community, with every church in Tallahassee this morning, that will all proclaim the truth of Jesus. We ask you to be with those who are sick in our church family, or for those who are undergoing any kind of treatment. We ask you to continue to be with Wesley Gaskins, with Brandon in Virginia. Lord, we just pray for that little boy, and we're just thankful for doctors and medicine, and we ask you to continue to allow his process to continue. So Lord, we ask that you keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city, and that we'll proclaim the name of Jesus to all who need to hear. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, the word belief, or I believe that statement, uh, really kind of carries a lot of weight at Christmas time. It's kind of part of the marketing. It's part of the commercialization of Christmas. Not in a bad way, just kind of in a fun way. I'm one of those guys who just says, hey, Christmas is fun. Let's just enjoy it. You know, a lot of Christians this time of year, you know, will say, you know, Christmas is too commercialized and it's too this. And I'm like, you know what? I love lights. And I love Christmas music. And I love Santa. And I love it all. So that's I, I, just me. It's me. You have to be that way. But I'm that way. I just kind of like, let's just enjoy it all and just kind of have some fun. Jesus was born. Let's Let's celebrate in every way possible. Uh, that's just kind of how I think about these kind of things. I might be wrong, but that's just kind of how I think about it personally. But that idea of belief is kind of equated with the magic of Christmas. You'll see grandmas and moms wear Christmas sweaters that say, I believe. Right? It's just sort of a part of the lure of Christmas time. It's just sort of generic idea of believing in something. But belief is not just essential for the magic of Christmas. I would say belief is essential to understand the story of Christmas. Belief in a secular context is essential for the magic. Every Christmas movie, someone has to believe, right? That they sort of, it's almost like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, kind of click your heels together and believe they're gonna return home. But for the Christian, the statement that I believe in something, that I believe this story is actually foundational for the rest of our lives. That every single aspect of what we believe to be true about this time of year that we're celebrating actually filters down to everything that has to be true for the rest of our lives. Like what we believe to be true about Christmas defines what we believe about everything else. Here's what Tim Keller wrote in a book about Christmas. He said, Christmas, this is going to sound strange at first, we're going to unpack it a little bit. Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous, and we all, no one will debate that, that it's wondrous, and more threatening. Now that sounds strange. Than we imagine. And by threatening, he's not talking about the health risk of going on top of your roof to put up Christmas lights, the safety risk. That's not what he's talking about. 
Christmas is wondrous. We believe these things. It's all the feels, all the magic. But the belief leads to something else. And that is how the truth and reality of Christmas is actually threatening. See, when I claim that I believe, it is a profound declaration that's going to mess and interfere with everything in my life. When I actually claim in conviction that I believe this stuff to be true, it is the most profound of things anyone could possibly say. So we're going to look at the next few weeks as different people in the Christmas story from the Gospels and the New Testament and how they believed and what it actually meant for their lives. And we're going to start today with Mary. Now I think it's important that Protestants actually have a right I guess you could say appreciation of Mary. I, I think sometimes it's so easy to go, well, we don't pray to Mary, you know, like our Catholic friends do. You know, we don't see Mary as an elevated divine status. Like we think she sinned. Like we think she actually needed the salvation of the baby in her belly. Like we actually believe those things. And at the same time, it's not a contradiction to say that we should appreciate Mary. And we should think very highly of Mary. And as we'll see today, she's not just some ordinary person. She is someone that God had high favor on, but she's someone who believed and because she believed, it had a profound impact on her life. Here's how the story goes. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, and that's essential to the story, engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the house of David is mentioned there because Joseph comes from the royal line that goes through David and leads all the way to Christ. The virgin's name was Mary, an actual real person, that is essential to the story. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman. What an amazing thing to hear from God's messenger. Favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Kind of like when someone says, hey, can we get together? I need to talk to you about something. You're like, oh, no. And this is an angel showing up. <laughs> and saying, hey, favored person by God, I have something to tell you. You can imagine that moment. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, I have a message for you. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, the throne that was promised that a descendant of David would rule on the throne of Israel forever. This is the one it was pointing to. And you're going to be the one who gives birth to him? I can't even imagine what that moment would have been like. First of all, there's an angel in front of you. That's not an everyday occurrence. And the angel says, don't be afraid. It'd be like, easy for you to say, right? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, really fair question, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And last time I checked, that's how babies are made. She's confused. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of of God. And she said, the angel says, here's more, and consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. She was pregnant with John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month 
for her who was called childless. In other words, this is God's power. This is not man's wisdom. See, I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. But before she makes that claim, listen to the words she's responding to. For nothing will be impossible with God. And how do we respond to that reality? God, I'm yours. Because you are the one who is great. You are the one who is powerful. You are the one who has given me favor. So I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I'm like, isn't there more? Can, can you give me a little more here? That's, you're gone? That, that's it? What a moment. And you might be here today, and I just want to acknowledge this and say, I don't believe that because that's impossible. Like the fact that a virgin could conceive and give birth to a child. You're like, I have three degrees. That sounds ridiculous. I mean, like, I think it's good feelings. It makes me feel good, the story, but like, come on. It's metaphorical. It's, it's you know, what, and here's two things I want to say to that. Actually, I'm going to give you three. The first one is Mary was in your same boat for a moment. It's not crazy to have that question. Mary goes, um, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She asked the angel that question. How can this be? So when you have a question, you're not out of bounds with Mary, the favored one of God, who had questions. The second thing is, one, the virgin birth was promised to be, it was a prophecy of God, we see in the book of Isaiah that the virgin would give birth to a son. And also it's essential to know that Jesus coming through the line of, sin comes through the line of Adam, and here is Jesus not coming through the seed of Adam. Since there was not a male partner in the equation, he does not inherit that original sin. But the third thing I think is also really important, and it might sound like I'm trying to explain it away, but I really do think childlike faith sometimes, sometimes come, does come into play. And that is this. We believe, as Christians, I believe, that Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible makes it clear that if that's not true, then our entire faith is in jeopardy and people should feel bad for us. 1 Corinthians 15, read it on your own time when you go home that there is no Easter Sunday where the Christians should be pitied. Like Paul owns that in the New Testament. He's going, I'll acknowledge this before the entire audience, he's saying, that if there is no Easter, we're all wasting our time. He says, oh, but there is. And he's appeared to over 500 people. Many of them are still alive. Go talk to them. And now they're willing to give their lives as martyrs because of what they've seen themselves, that he actually is the one he claimed to be, and they believe it to be true. If you can believe in Easter, it's not far-fetched to believe in a virgin birth. And I would argue without the virgin birth, there actually is no Easter, because Jesus would not be the one who was prophesied to be the actual Son of God and the Messiah. I hope that's helpful. I know it doesn't answer all of your questions, but I hope that's helpful. See, face of the unbelievable news that she, a virgin, would be the mother of God's Messiah, the Son of God, 
It's important to know that Mary doesn't respond with blind faith. Not there's anything wrong with blind faith, but she doesn't respond with blind faith. She did question, she used her reason, and she asked questions just as we must today if we're gonna have faith. Keller, Keller adds this in his book, that this story encourages us not to fall for the lie that faith is a thoughtless endeavor. It's a whole person experience involving intellect, evidence, experience, and most importantly, an actual work of God. But Mary received that, that answer of nothing is impossible with God. Like she received that and she believed that and because that her response was, I believe this to be true, I'm a servant of God. I will do whatever you ask me to do. In this faith journey, this, this journey to actually believe and hold on to those beliefs, often it occurs over a period of time as God works us over, basically, woos us, prepares our hearts to believe. God draws us to himself. God calls us to salvation. But once realized, faith is an experience. It's a realization, an arrival point that should bring about in our lives praise of God, wonder in a good way. Because who among us can claim to deserve the gift of Christmas? Who here deserve for Jesus to come and die for our sins on a cross, a death that we deserve for our rebellion against God? Who here deserve Jesus to die in our place as our substitute? Who here deserve to have Jesus take on God's wrath instead of us? And now all of us who are in Christ, all who are Christians, we have the favor of God upon us because of what Jesus has given us in his grace. See, in all this, Mary is a model, I believe, of what responsive faith looks like. What it really means to be able to proclaim that statement, I believe this to be true. Remember that Keller quote from earlier? Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous and more threatening than we imagine. Wondrous and threatening. Now, belief is kind of participating in the wonder, right? That, the, the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of God's grace, the wonder of his splendor and his majesty. And belief is there. It makes sense. But the fact that it's threatening is the implications of what it means to declare out loud like Mary did, that you are the Lord's servant. Think about the implications of that statement Mary was making. I am the Lord's servant. That means things like I belong to him. What he says goes. That I do not have my own self-autonomy. That he is my Lord. Whatever God says, in other words, I'm in. I'm in. Since I believe, I'm in. And listen to where it led for Mary. Truth should lead us to doxology, to worship, to praise. But like believing something shouldn't just be sentimental. It shouldn't just be tradition. It shouldn't just be a crutch to hold on to when things go bad. It shouldn't just be a good luck charm. I believe that statement should lead all of us to worship. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. 
God says, Mary, you're favored. And she's still humble and says, I'm just a servant. I want to why me. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He's done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, and this is really important here, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. In other words, Mary knew a lot. She didn't know everything. She didn't know that one day he would walk on water. She, 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 didn't, she didn't know every detail of Jesus' life. She knew a lot. Why? Because she had been trained in the scriptures. She had believed for a long time. So in the moment, of course, you're going to have a son. She's like, ah, how's that going to happen? Don't you know how this all works? I mean, you're God's messenger. You don't know how babies are made. It's kind of weird. You know, like, how does this work? Well, with God, nothing's impossible. God's not bound by any laws of nature. For he's the one who created them. But Mary first had the emotional, rational, thoughtful response. And now here she has a theological response. Because it clicked in her head that I'm not just carrying this child of God. I'm carrying the baby who has been promised to our people for generations and generations and generations. The God of mercy, the God of grace has kept his promise to his people and I'm pregnant with that promise. A theological realization. She says, just as he spoke to our ancestors. If I had to give two words of what Mary's responsive faith to the truth looks like, I would say these two words, faithful and available. Faithful and available. That God, I'm gonna be faithful to what you have asked me to do. Because the wonder of who you are, because I believe these things to be true, I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna respond with, with I'm gonna say, Lord, whatever you have said, I want to be in step with that. Like, I want to find myself before you faithful because you are the one who has been so faithful to me. So what does it look like to be faithful today when you don't have an angel standing before you telling you this crazy news? I'm just going to guess that you're not going to go out to Tom Brown Park and have a picnic and have an angel appear to you. So what does it look like to be faithful in the meantime between now and when Jesus returns? It means to obey God's word. To submit yourself because of who he is and what he's done under his authority. To repent of your self-autonomy. And to say, God, what your word says is where I want to align my life. Like, you are the one who is faithful, so now I want to be faithful. Because I believe these things. Because I believe these things to be true, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
And that's not just in speech, that must be in action. The book of James is really clear that if our beliefs, our faith, and our lifestyles don't line up together, then the faith we claim to have is actually dead, that it's deficient, that it's defunct. What would it look like for us to say, because I believe, I want what I believe to be lined up with how I live my life, faithful. Mary said, what you have said, I'm your servant. The next word's available, and that's where Christmas becomes threatening. That's where that Keller quote goes into play. Mary said, I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. Now, for her, there were great consequences. Because in that culture at that time, now, if a 14-year-old teenager, you know, 14, 18, unmarried person that's young, in mean, different culture, different time in terms of when people got married, all those kind of things, we, we would be, you know, concerned and rally around the person and you know there'd be a, there'd be a lot of, of, of work to do and church family responsibility and you know we, we would do our best just to love and just come alongside and support the family and, and all, I, I would hope and, and all those things back in this culture if word got out which eventually it does naturally that Mary this unwedded girl was pregnant she risked her own life by stoning, by that condemnation, by that judgment. And don't think, the, I'm not trying to read too much in the text. This is the reality of living in the first century. But don't think those things didn't go, I mean, I, I would imagine, taking a little liberty here, but I'd imagine those things would have gone through her head at that moment. Like, oh my, what am I going to tell my parents? What am I going to tell Joseph, my fiance? Like, he's going to believe this. Hey, Joseph, got to talk to you about something. Let's go for a walk. I'm pregnant. Oh? I mean, like, you're, you're, you're going on Maury Povich pretty quick. You're calling Dr. Phil in that moment. And we'll hear about Joseph next week. Thankfully, that was not his response. But with all that risk, not even just really risk, like likelihood, God, I'm available. Because you have called me yourself. Because you're worth it. Why? Because I believe. So what does that look like for us today? Are you available to what God wants you to do. You might go, well, I'm not really sure what God wants me to do. I'd love to have an angel come tell me that. That'd be really helpful. Well, we have God's word. And God's word, and God in his word has told us for start, we can start there, what it is he wants us to do. He wants us to follow Christ. He wants us to live our lives in truth and love. He wants us to be unashamed of the gospel. He wants us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. He wants us to honor our father and mother. He wants us to love our neighbor. 
He wants us to flee from sexual immorality. He wants us to bear much fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He wants us to make disciples of all the nations. He wants us to spread good news. He wants us to not fear, to not be cowards, to stand up for things that matter, to care about justice, to walk humbly with our God. Like these are the things that God has already told us he wants us to do in the scriptures, not to earn his favor, but just like the angel told Mary, because you have his favor. The instructions in the Bible are not to help us have God love us more. It's that God loves us and has made a people for himself called the church. And now this is what it looks like to live as those people who actually do believe these things about God. So it is threatening because following Jesus interferes with your life. And what happens in cultural Christianity and Christmas shows it majorly is we want enough of Jesus to be associated with but not so much where it inconveniences us. I don't know if anyone's ever been more inconvenienced in a faith moment than Mary at this time. And she was not perfect. Again, she needed the salvation of the baby in her belly just like we all do. But she said, God, I'm available. I believe. I'm your servant. I emotionally believe and I theologically believe. Both of those things together. You do what you are going to do and I'm going by faith to follow. Faithful and available. Love this part of the story here. It says, they hurried off. This is Mary and Joseph. This is after the announcement. This is time to have the baby now. It's like Christmas is here. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby. This is the shepherd's story, who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed what the shepherds said to them. But here's the part I want to focus on today, or this last minute. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Imagine what was going through her mind and through her heart. The baby's been born. And in that moment, maybe she wasn't just thinking about, oh, I have so much to do, and I hope the baby nurses okay, and all the things that new moms get stressed about. It wasn't Joseph, it's your turn to change him. I've changed him the last seven times. Here in this moment, what is she treasuring? That God has come to redeem his people. That God's rescue mission is now fully in play. And that that baby is going to go on to live a perfect life that none of us could live. Die a death that we deserved. And rise from the grave three days later. Conquering sin and death once and for all. As he ascends to heaven and returns one day to make all things new. So what did the shepherds do? They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. I believe, and the question is, do you? And the question for me is, personally, 
okay, I believe, now what? And the question for you is, okay, if you do believe, then, then now what? And then now what is Jesus, here's my life. Jesus, here's my life. You're not a hobby. You're not a tradition. Like, Jesus, here's my life. I was at Starbucks uh, last week and yesterday and the day before, but last week, <laughs> this morning on the way here, <laughs> yeah, and, um, and it, was, it was just, I was just so amazed. I just one of those things where you just kind of go, huh, on the loudspeaker, they were blasting Oh Holy Night, the Christmas song. So usually it's some like independent artist no one's ever heard of, you know, something like that, and here's Oh Holy Night. And they're just like making their coffee, doing their thing, and people are in there just interacting, and I'm going, Starbucks? Oh, holy night? Let me tell you, that magic of the season gives us a softball to have conversations about the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. People are open right now without even realizing it. And I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the baristas and like a couple of them like kind of mouthing the song a little bit. And I've had conversations with like all of them. And at, at Starbucks I go to, to my knowledge, at least in my time on there, there's one believer in the whole group. And I try to encourage them all the time when I'm in there. But like, think about your workplace. Think about your own house. Think about your neighborhood. Think about who you work out with, whatever it might be. How many of these Christmas songs explicitly about Christ? I don't mean like Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph songs, okay? I mean like that are clearly about Jesus. How many of them know every word? Every word. But don't actually know the one the song is about. What an opportunity to be faithful and available to God's call upon your life to be his ambassador because of what you believe. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for Mary's story. Let us be people who are faithful and available to you. Lord, I acknowledge for myself that I don't have to go dig and look for what it is you want for my life because you've already told me through the scriptures. So I ask that I'll be faithful and available to what's already been written and given to me. I pray that for everyone in this room today as well. To those who don't know you will believe, and to those who know you and claim belief that they will be ready to be faithful and available servants of you, the one who redeemed the people for yourself. So we're thankful that the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ and the ascension and his return is the outworkings of the Christmas story that Mary acknowledged goes all the way back to the beginning. So we thank you you've been going throughout history, working out your plan and your timing to redeem people to yourself. Lord, as a result of that, may we in wonder be faithful and available to you. It's the name of Jesus we ask this. Let's stand together and sing some good news about Christmas.